good to see you once again. Uh, it was just a couple minutes ago that we were already talking, and now here we are again. You get to listen to me for a little longer. I hope that's okay. I'm very glad to be here, uh, glad to be talking with you, and glad to be walking through uh, the book of Ephesians. We are almost done with the book of Ephesians. We've been walking through Ephesians for the last few months, and we are getting towards the end. So if you have your Bible with you and you're going to open it up, uh, we are in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10, and we are going to be there in a moment. There's something that's been happening uh, on our televisions over the past few years, and, uh, and uh, my guess is that you've noticed it. Things have dramatically changed when it comes to how the programming that we see on our TVs over the last decade or 15 or 20 years or so. It used to be, it used to be that when you turned on your TV, other than candid camera, you would turn on your TV and the shows were all scripted. Writers would get together and they would sit down and they would write out a half an hour sitcom or they would write out an hour long drama or a miniseries or a movie and then they would turn that script over uh, to actors and directors and producers and they would put the whole show together and that is what would be on television. But now it's very different. Now the, the characters that we see aren't professional actors at all, but they're just normal people living their everyday life. And there isn't much that happens in this world uh, that they don't film and put on television. If you want to look for gold or you fish or whatever you do, they will film it and they will put it on TV. In fact, the reason that I knew that Legos were made in Scandinavia is because I watched a show about it. They'll film anything and put it on on television and they take the this film that they put together they film hours and hours and hours and hours of footage they edit it down into a half an hour or an hour-long show and they call it reality TV and reality TV is everywhere that we look it's on every network it's on regular networks it's on basic cable wherever we look reality uh, TV uh, is everywhere but reality TV always begs the question, is what we are watching reality? Is what we see on those shows for a half an hour, an hour, what's put before us and we're told that it's reality, is it really reality? And the only way we can decipher whether or not it is reality is to recognize that there are two sides to what's being shown. There is the side that we can see and then there's the side that we don't see. And if we're to understand what is real when we're watching those shows and what is not, we have to understand both sides. The one side is what's shown to us. We watch the TV show, we watch that, that half an hour, that hour, we watch it, and what we can see, what we take in, what we observe, that's one part of the reality. But the other part of the reality, the part that we need to understand if we're to get a full picture of what's really going on, is what's happening behind the scenes. The things that we don't see, the makeup artists and the directors and the producers and the writers who are telling these seemingly normal people, listen, this week you two are going to fight and this week you two are going to make up and this week here's the tension that's going to drive the story. If we don't understand what's happening behind the scenes, then we won't understand whether or not what we're taking in is really real. 
I was reading an article uh, this week. It was an interview with a guy named Dave Hester. And he used to be on a show, it's pretty popular, called Storage Wars. And maybe you watch Storage Wars. It's about these folks that uh, go to abandoned storage lockers and they bid on those lockers and whoever bids the most money gets whatever's inside and they bid blind. Uh, they don't know what's inside and so they win the bid. They open up the door to the storage locker and then the locker is filled with all sorts of great items that they take and they resell for a profit. And Dave Hester, who left the show after three years, uh, he said, what you don't understand is that before the show starts, the producers come in and they give us money and they tell us who's going to bid and when they're going to bid and what the winning bid is going to be. And then once the locker is purchased and we purchase it with the producer's money, they open up the door, they plant some items, they close the door, they turn on the cameras, they open the door. And that explains why they make a lot of money. And when you go to... Woo burn and buy a storage locker, it's just filled with junk. <laughs> because in order to understand what's real and what is reality, you can't just take in what you see. You have to understand what's going on behind the scenes. It's the same thing uh, with another show. There's a show out there called Duck Dynasty. And this show is with a Christian family. And they live in the, the deep south. And they made millions of dollars uh, on duck calls and building this duck call business. I mean, it really, in some ways, is the Beverly Hillbillies come to life. And they film their interactions as a family. And as a Christian family, the way they come across is important to them. And I was reading an article uh, in Sports Spectrum magazine, which, by the way, if you have a young kid that is into sports and things, Sports Spectrum magazine, you should get them. That's a side note. Duck Dynasty, they were doing an interview. And the, the father character, the, the head guy in Duck Dynasty, he said what happened early on in the show is that the producers didn't think the content provided enough tension for the audience. So what they did was, is they started to insert bleeps when the family wasn't really swearing. And so they would take the show and they would uh, put in bleeps to make it, it sound like the family was cursing to try to get more people interested. And then what they started to do was they started to edit out the phrase in Jesus' name from the end of their prayers. And the family said to the producers, uh, you can keep doing this, but we're quitting the show. And the show was popular enough that the producers gave in. But when you take that in, if you were at home and you were watching that show, the only way you can understand if what you're seeing is real or not is to understand that there's two sides. There's the side that we can see and the side that we can take in. And there's the side that's behind all of that, the side that we don't see. And this morning, I want us to consider the very philosophical question when it comes to our lives, our daily lives, how do we define reality? And I think for most of us, for most of us, we would say, well, reality is what I see in front of me. Reality is what I can, I can touch and what I can feel and what I can taste and what I can sense and what I see. Reality is, 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 are the things that I experience, the things that are in front of me each and every day. That is reality. But what if? What if just like in reality TV, there's this whole other side that we don't see? What if what we take in and what we see and what we can touch and feel is only half of what makes up reality? 
What if just what we can see is an incomplete picture of what is actually real? And there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't see and that we don't notice, but greatly affects what we consider reality. This morning, we're going to look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 and what he says to the church. And what Paul says is, listen, if you're going to understand reality, if you're going to be able to determine what is real and what is not, you need to understand and know that reality has two sides. Paul starts in chapter 6, verse 10, and he starts with this word. He says, finally, and I think that's an important word for us to notice. Because Paul here is kind of like the parent uh, whose child is going to college or the parent whose child is moving out of the house or the parent whose child is getting married or taking a significant step in that all these believers at the church at Ephesus are Paul's Uh, spiritual sons and daughters. He planted the church. He got the whole thing going. He has invested so much time and energy and effort into them. And now he's at the point where he's just about to set them loose. And if you've been with us over the last couple of months, you've seen as we have walked through what Paul has been saying to these believers in Ephesus. And he talked to them about why they should follow Jesus And then he talked to them about how they're to follow Jesus. And now it's about time in this letter to set them loose. So just like a parent would, when their child's ready to take a significant step, Paul comes in and he says, listen, I've told you a lot of things over the years. I've told you how to live and we walked through some stuff and we've learned lessons along the way. But this is what is most important. If you forget all that other stuff, this is what I want you to remember. Finally, this is it. This is the most important piece. And this is what Paul says. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Finally, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. For those of us who follow Jesus, For those of us that have thrown our hat in the ring and we've made the decision and we're walking with him and we want to do what he calls us to do and we want to live lives that bring him glory, there's this feeling that we have deep down inside of us that we really don't know what to do with sometimes. It's kind of like this hidden secret, but it's down there inside of all of us from time to time. And sometimes in life, things happen, and this feeling rises up, and it can create disillusionment. It can create discouragement. It can be the thing that can derail our faith. And it's this thing that's down inside of all of us. And as we follow Jesus, it creeps up over and over again. And maybe you're here this morning, and you don't follow Jesus. And one of the reasons you've chosen not to follow Jesus is because you see what I'm about to talk about happening in the lives of those who do follow Jesus, and you don't know how to reconcile it in your mind either. 
See, there's this feeling inside of all of us that follow Christ. And as we walk through our day, and as we go through our life, things happen and we think to ourselves, isn't it supposed to be easier than this? I mean, when we got into this and we began to follow Christ, we were promised our best life now and we were promised that things would go well with us and we were promised that everything uh, would be easy and that we, we thought that once we got into a relationship with Jesus that everything was just going to go right for us. And sometimes we just, things just happen in our lives and things happen in this world and we shake our head and we just have this feeling. We think to ourselves, man, if, if God is who he says he is and Jesus is who he says he is, then shouldn't it be easier than this to follow him. Sometimes it can feel like it would be easier just not to follow him at all. Then we wouldn't have to make the tough decisions. Then we wouldn't have to make the difficult calls. Then we wouldn't have to feel guilty about how we were living. Sometimes this feeling just creeps up inside of us and it can create disillusionment and it can create discouragement and, and we don't know what to do with it. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been talking to people, whether that's just me talking in the mirror or me talking to other friends who follow Jesus or uh, counseling sessions in, in the church, where people have said something along the lines of, just when I thought I had everything together between me and God. Just when I thought everything was finally going right, that I was making the right decisions and I was doing the right thing and I was doing what God wanted me to do, just when I thought I had everything together, man, the whole thing fell apart. And shouldn't it be easier than this? Just when, it, just when uh, the doctor said everything was okay, the test came back and it, was, and it was positive. Just when I thought everything was going well at my job and I had prayed and God had given me direction, all of a sudden the job was cut from the budget. Just when I thought my marriage was finally going right and we were doing the right things and we were doing our devotions, we were going to pray together, we were going to do everything right just when we got our act together, all of a sudden something terrible happened happened, just when our family was going to get together and love each other the way that we're supposed to, just when we were going to church together, just when we were doing the right thing, all of a sudden it just blew up in our face. And if God is who he says he is and Jesus who is who he says he is, shouldn't it be easier than this? Shouldn't things go right? And Paul says to the church and he says to us, he says, listen, what you're dealing with when you look at those things and you look at your marriage and you look at your family and you look at your finances and you look at your job and you can see it and you can feel it and you can touch it, it's only half the story. It's only half the story. Paul says, listen, you need to understand that there is a battle going on behind the scenes for your soul and your kids' souls and your spouse's souls. That when you decide to follow Jesus, the battle doesn't end, the battle heats up. 
And so all these things that we're experiencing when we follow Jesus and all these things that we're experiencing when we're trying to do the right thing and trying to do what God wants us to do and we just feel attacked over and over and over again. Paul says, listen, you need to understand that what you're experiencing is not just things that are happening in the world that you can see and touch and feel, but there are things happening in the world that you cannot see and touch and feel that are determining reality. And so just when you began to do what God wanted you to do, just when you began to get the marriage back together, just when you began to get the family back together, just when you began to get your finances in order, and something happened. It's not just something that's happening in the earthly world, Paul says. There's something that's happening behind it all that's a part of reality. And Paul says that we need to understand that reality is more than meets the eye. That reality is more than meets the eye. Just like the Transformers. Not everyone understands that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> reality is more than meets the eye. You see, because when we think that all, reality is only what we can see, when we think that reality is only what we can see and touch and feel and hold and experience, when we think that defines all of reality, we fall into two errors that both lead us down the wrong road. The first error that we fall into is we underestimate the enemy that we're up against. When we think when we think that, that everything that we see and touch defines all of reality, we begin to underestimate the enemy that we're against. Paul writes that there's a battle going on for our souls, and it's happening in the heavenly realms in a world that we can't see on a daily basis, but it's going on and it affects our reality. And if we refuse to believe in that reality, then what we do is we underestimate the power of the enemy that we are up against. Paul says reality is more than meets the eye. The devil is trying to convince us that reality, that what we see is what we get. Paul says reality is more than meets the eye. The devil wants us to believe that what we see is what we get. If the devil can convince us that he is just the thing of Bible stories and folklore and Halloween costumes, then he wins. If he can convince us that he's just something that, that people that can't really deal with this world and the ups and the downs have, have concocted to try to explain what's going on, if he can convince us that it's not really uh, what the Bible says that it is, it's, it's more of a, just a story that kind of explains things, then he wins. Because we begin to underestimate the power of the enemy that we are up against. People have used these verses to draw a lot of conclusions about who the devil is and, and, and what his army looks like. I don't know that we can draw a lot of the conclusions that I've read from this passage. We have to be careful with that, but there are three things we can know for sure from this passage. The first is that our enemy is powerful. Paul says that our enemy is full of rulers and authorities and people with power. The second is that he is wicked. Paul refers to our enemy as evil. And the third is that he is cunning. 
Paul warns us again this, against the schemes of the devil. But the devil would love nothing more than convince us that what we see is all of reality and what we see is all that we get. And if he can do that, we will make the error of underestimating his power. And the second error that we fall into when we think that what we see defines all of reality is we begin to overestimate our own ability to win the battle. If everything that we see is reality, then we begin to overestimate what our role is in uh, coming up with the victory. We begin to think that, that it's our job to figure out a way to fix everything. We begin to think that it's our job to come up with the right solution, that if we just read the right books or went to the right seminar or listened to enough of what Oprah says or, or do all these other things, if we would just do enough of that stuff that somewhere deep down inside of us, there is the will and the gumption and the ability to fix it all. And never mind that we've tried all this stuff before and it didn't work in the past, we still some reason, for some reason think that we have it deep down within us to fix the whole problem. And when we buy into this lie that all of reality is only what we can see and observe with our eyes, we underestimate the power of our enemy and we overestimate our ability to fix these things. So what are we to do? There is a battle raging for each and every one of our souls. There is a battle raging for your family's souls. There's a battle raging for your kids' souls. And it's real and it's happening. And it's happening in a realm that we don't necessarily see every day, but it's as real as everything that we see in front of us. So what are we to do? What are we to do when we try to do everything right in our marriage and it starts to fall apart? What are we to do when we try to do everything right financially and we just can't get ahead what are we to do when our kids run off and they start doing stuff that we just prayed they would never do? What are we to do when all we try to do all the right things and things just start to fall apart? What are we to do? Paul gives us the answer right there in verse 10. Paul says this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. You know what the great thing about being a part of this battle is? Is we already know who wins. What other battle has ever been fought on the face of the earth when before it begins and while it is going on, everyone knows for without, beyond a shadow of a doubt who wins in the end? But we know that Christ, through the power of his death and resurrection, wins this battle in the end. The battle that's happening in a realm we can't see, that he wins the battle. And our job as believers is not to try to figure it out on our own, how we're going to fix the problem and how we're going to overcome the enemy. Our job is to stand strong in our God who has already won the battle for us. And the devil along the way is like a child who's about ready to be pushed into a swimming pool. And as he's going down, he's grabbing his friend. And he's saying, you can take me down, but you're coming with me. And the devil knows that in the end he loses, but he's more than happy as he goes down to grab as many people as he can and pull them down with him. And our job 
is to recognize that reality is more than what we see. It's more than what we feel. It's more than what we taste. It's more than what's right in front of our eyes. That reality is more than meets the eye. That reality is made up of what we see and experience, but it's made up of a world and a battle going on for our minds and our souls that we don't see on a daily basis. And the way that we get through it, the way that we last, the way that we win is to stand strong in the Lord. What does that look like? I'm going to invite our worship team to go ahead and come uh, back to the stage, and I want to tell you a quick story. Evie Hill is a pretty famous uh, black preacher. He passed away a number of years ago. But even when he started out and he was a young preacher, uh, he became a close friend of Martin Luther King Jr., He pastored Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, big church for a number of years. He was uh, very close with Billy Graham and worked side by side with him on a number of his uh, events and taught in his school. He was a close spiritual advisor to Richard Nixon, who should have listened to him more. But Evie Hill tells the story in one of his books of being a young boy growing up in rural Texas. And he grew up in the Depression era when no one had any money. And there he was in rural Texas. His mom was a single mother. She had five children. And there was a woman at church that he called Mama. And it wasn't his mom, but he called her Mama. He was that close to her. And he said one time he was sitting in church and he was just about to enter high school. And Mama stood up in church and she said, you see Ed Hill over there? You see my son, Ed Hill? Ed is going to graduate high school. The Lord told me that Ed is graduating high school. And everyone kind of smiled and, you know, placated Mama because no one they knew graduated high school. Everyone they knew quit at at ninth grade and went to work in the field for $2 a day. And even Ed was sitting there and he thought to himself, I'm not going to graduate high school. I'm going to go and work in the fields like everybody else. But sure enough, Mama was right. And Ed graduated high school. And then he went on. And Mama said, God told me that you're going to college. And Ed didn't know anyone who went to college. But if God told Mama he was supposed to go to college, he would go to college. And so Mama bought him a suit and a couple pairs of blue jeans and a couple shirts and gave him $5 and put him on a bus to Prairie View, Texas. And Evie Hill writes that when he got to Prairie View, Texas, because of the bus fee and food along the way, he had $1.83 left in his pocket. And he got off the bus and he realized he had to take a city bus to Prairie View A&M's campus. And that was another 25 cents. So by the time he got to Prairie View A&M's campus, Evie Hill had $1.58 in his pocket. And he walked onto campus and he found the registrar and he stood in line. And he said as the line went down, he could finally see the sign that was above the registrar's table. And it said, registration, $83, cash or money order. And he knew he had $1.58 in his pocket. And Evie Hill writes, just then the devil started to talk. And he whispered in his ear and he said, what are you doing? doing here you don't belong here 
You have $1.58 in your pocket and all these people in front of you, they have the $83 that they need. You don't belong here. Nobody you know goes to college. Nobody you know is here. Get out of line. Get out of line. And Evie Hill says that every time the devil would tell him to get out of line, he remembered his mama saying, I'll be praying for you. God told you to go. And he stayed in line. He got up to the registrar's table and he started to tell the registrar why he didn't have $83. And a man came over and said, are you Ed Hill? He said, yeah, I'm Ed Hill. He said, I have been looking for you. He said, we're giving you a full ride. And we're paying for your, your books and we're paying for your housing and we're giving you $35 a month for spending money. Listen, all of us know what it's like to look at our circumstances and to know God has called us to do something. And we look at our circumstances and things seem like they're totally out of whack and the whole situation is hopeless. And just about then our enemy comes in and he says, listen, there is no possible way this can work. There is no way that this marriage is going to be fixed. There is no way your family is going to get back together. There is no way that you're going to be able to pull off what God has told you to do. There is no way that this is all going to go right. So get out of line. Get out of line. Let me encourage you this morning to stand strong in the Lord. Be strong in the God who has already won the battle. Be strong in the God who is fighting on your behalf. It's not our job to figure out how it's going to work. It's our job to put our trust in the God who has already won the battle. It is our job to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And when those things are happening in life and marriage is going wrong and family is going wrong and finances are going wrong and the ministry you're supposed to start is going wrong and God is speaking to you and he's saying I called you to do this I will be with you and the enemy is saying to you get out of line you don't belong here stand strong in the Lord when you walk into this room and the enemy begins to whisper to you and says look at all those good church people you don't belong here stand strong in the Lord because reality is much more than what we see in front of our eyes. There is a whole world going on behind it. There is a battle happening for our souls. And we are called to stand strong in the Lord. I'd like to invite you, if you would, to, to stand up and if you would close your eyes and bow your heads, I just want us to think about this together for a moment. With your eyes closed, I don't know what you're facing this morning. I have no idea what's going through your mind. I have no idea what you faced in this past week. But I know, and my guess is there are areas in your life in which you're trying to do what God has called you to do. You're trying to raise your child in the right way. You're trying to do it. Maybe you're by yourself, and you're trying to raise that child, and you're trying to live the life that God has called you to, and you're trying to do things that are right, but it's so difficult. I want to encourage you this morning to stay in 
line. Do what God has called you to do. Or maybe this morning, God has called you to step out and he's called you to leave your job. He's called you to go somewhere new and it doesn't look like it's going to happen. It doesn't look like things are going to work out. If God has called you to it, stay in line. Be strong in the Lord. He has the victory. And maybe things are going wrong in your family and relationships are broken and you have no idea how they're going to be restored. But God is calling you to stay there and to love and to just do and be a servant. Stand strong in the Lord. Don't get out of line. Do what he's calling you to do. And let me remind you this morning that we serve a God who is greater than any of our circumstances. We serve a God who is greater than anything that we face in this world. And in his son, Jesus Christ, he has already won the battle. He has died and he has risen again and he has already won. And the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit sits at the throne and prays on our behalf with groans that words cannot express. Stand strong in the Lord. Stay in line. Do what God has called you to do. Don't give up because God is at work. And the reality is not just what you see in front of your eyes. The reality is happening far beyond that. And God is in control. And he will win. And our God is stronger. And our God is mightier than anything we are facing. Let's declare that.